Tim, nobody you know, uh, I always have to say that, was so excited to be on his first mission trip to Peru that he spent a great deal of time memorizing a gospel presentation in Spanish. Really didn't know the words, just tried his best to memorize a presentation of the gospel in Spanish that included scripture and all kinds of points about how someone can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life in Christ. And so throughout the mission trip, you could hear Tim in broken southern Spanish talking to Peruvians. ¿Qué pasa? ¿Dónde está? Throughout airports, trying to engage folks who spoke Spanish and share the gospel with them with his memorized gospel presentation. And he was shocked when he met with missionaries and reported to them already on this mission trip in the airport and on a bus, 15 people have been saved through my gospel presentation and even my sinner's prayer that I memorized in Spanish. Repeat after me. And he was shocked when the missionaries very kindly said, could you not do that? And in his mind, he's thinking, don't share the gospel. Don't, don't talk to these people about Jesus. And they began to explain, yeah, our country is full of pagan mysticism, ancestor worship, Incan idolatry, mixed in with Catholicism. And so people pray to things all the time. People repeat prayers all the time, even to patron saints here. And any time an American, who is the picture of blessing, walks up to them and asks them to repeat a prayer, they will do so for blessing, even without understanding what in the world you are talking about. They will add your prayer to every other ritual and duty they have performed that week. And they began to talk about the importance of discipleship and what syncretism was and church planning and why it's important over the long haul to have good theology and teach the Bible to the people of Peru. But this very thing is what was happening in Colossae. As the gospel came to these believers, as we have talked about in this Gentile town, off the beaten path, away from Ephesus, as Epaphras had planted this church probably and presented the gospel to them that had been handed from the Apostle Paul to Christians and believers and pastors and finally to this group of people, the way it was initially received was the same way as we talk about adding Jesus to ancient mysticism or some kind of Catholicism that really has nothing to do with Jesus. The gospel came to these people as a promise of greater blessing. If you would just mix it with the Old Testament traditions, going through the motions of the festivals, going through the motions of, of what the Old Testament would call us to do, 
If you would just add Jesus to those things, add those things to Jesus, and kind of mix it all together, you can have greater blessing. And then there was some spiritualism mixed in with it. And eventually Jesus became just another spirit. Because many of the teachers of the day believed that the body was irrelevant and even evil to some extent. And what you did in the flesh really didn't matter because real spiritualism is experienced in this other realm. And that's where the Spirit of Christ lives. And when Jesus of Nazareth was born, the Spirit of Christ came down upon him. But this isn't what the Bible teaches, the fullness of God in flesh that Paul has taught us. But the Spirit and the body were separated. And then like any other angel or forces you could encounter by denying the flesh or taking part in ritualism, you could free your mind and experience this Jesus in this other realm. And it was dangerous. And Paul is saying, that's not the gospel you received. There is a Jesus who is Lord and King, Creator, who makes sense of everything, who took on flesh the fullness of God and died on the cross to achieve peace with you before God so that you may live with Him forever, covered in His righteousness, covered in His death. He is King, and this gospel is a gospel of the supremacy of Christ above all things. And you can't add Him to anything. Because when you do, you take away from who He is. No, he is supreme and he comes to us on his own terms with his word and his wisdom. And Paul is at pains to teach this to the believers in Colossae because they are drifting away. And what is at stake is their security and stability in Christ. And what is at stake is their joy in Christ. Because the things that are being made up, that are coming from the minds and desires of men that are being made up about what's in the spiritual realm, they are empty deceit, as Paul will say, and they end in destruction. And that's why in verse 6, Paul says, you need to continue to walk in him. Don't walk away from him. Walk in him. Notice verse 6 when he says, therefore, in the previous section that Eric preached last week, he, he has warned them, do not be swayed by the pervasive arguments of men who are trying to lead you away from Christ. They may talk about Christ, but their desire is to pull you away from the Christ of the Bible. Therefore, in the same way you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now what's interesting with this word receive, Paul uses here, is it's the same word as receive a, any other tradition, any other ritual, any other religion that you would embrace. Paul, Paul would say in the same way you embraced Jesus, in, in the same way you have taken on Him, as your new tradition, so walk in Him. In the way that He 
speaks of Jesus here is also unique. He says, Christ Jesus, our Lord. He emphasizes the person of Jesus here. And Paul is getting at this point when he says, by faith, when you believe the gospel, when you trusted in Christ's death in your place for forgiveness of your sin, when you trusted in his life in your place to cover your sinful life, his righteousness, and when you began to hope in his resurrection and you began to hope in his kingdom, you received Christ, who's not just another tradition or ritual. You didn't receive another world view. You received a person. And I want you to understand, as you are believing in Christ, the way that you live in Him is different in the way that you embrace any other philosophy, any other empty deceit, any other ritualism or tradition. You embrace Him as a person that you are walking with, that you are living with. And that's why He says here, so walk in Him. This is not just a day of the week. This isn't just a prayer that you pray. This isn't just some things that you go through. You are now walking in Christ, and He encompasses all of life. He defines the context of everything that you do now, not just something you do over here for a blessing. Walk in Him. Now, what does that mean? Well, today we've given you kind of a tool that's on our website if you go to ashland.church slash Jesus story, there's kind of a, a graphic, a diagram that we talk about a lot around here as we want to understand what it means to live in Christ, what it means to walk in Christ. Primarily, it means to live in his story. You can even pull that up on your phone now. It'll be on the screen here. But this is how we are to see Jesus' story, and this is how we are to come to understand what it means to live in Him and walk in Him. And you'll notice on this graphic where we are in Him in the church. Jesus has lived His life. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and now the Spirit comes down, and when you believe the good news, the Spirit lives within you and joins you to this body, the church, and this is where you live in the timeline of Jesus' story. This is where you live post-ascension, believing the gospel in the context of the church. Right now, Jesus is gathering a people from the nations called the church. And when you believe in Him, you are a part of this people living now at this time in human history, waiting for the second coming, waiting for the new creation. It's so important to understand your life in light of Jesus' story. And how do you understand that? Where do you go to understand it? Well, you go to the Bible. This is the story of the Bible from beginning to end. The Bible tells the story of Jesus. From creation, Jesus created all things. Jesus will have a new creation that he rules and reigns over. And everything will be summed up in him. And so we go to the Bible to see how our life fits in Jesus' story. And why is that important? Because most of the time when we think about Jesus, here's how we think about it. I was born 1977. 
And I began to tell my story. And I began to live my life. And here is where I'm from. And here's the things that I experienced. At some point in my story, Jesus came into my story and he changed everything. And he made life a little bit better. And so I continue to tell my story until I'm dead. And Paul says, that's not how you walk in him because you're not the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story. He is supreme. And so in 1997, I entered Jesus's story. And everything that I experience in life is according to his plan and his purposes. And at some point in my life, I heard the good news and realized, oh, I'm in Jesus's story, and that's good news. Why? Jesus wins in the end. And Jesus has died to forgive me of my sins that I have committed against him. Now that I understand it's his story, I realize I've sinned against him. And he lived a perfect life that covers my life. And now I am in him, and I am living in his story. And by faith, I believe that, and I began to live in his story. You've got to understand your life that way, or you will be insecure and you will be miserable. Because that's not the story God is telling. He's telling the story of Christ. He's telling the story of Jesus. And you notice here, when you believe in him, when you look back on his life and his death and his resurrection by faith, what the Bible tells us is his story becomes our story through the gospel. When you believe in his life, guess what? Before God, his life becomes your life. Paul says it is though you were immersed into him. You've been so identified with him. You are in him, and that's the way God sees you in him. Jesus' story, all Jesus has done, becomes your story. All that you have done by faith in Jesus. His story becomes your story. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. His death on the cross becomes your crucifixion. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. And this changes who you see yourself, how you see yourself in the world, and who you come to know yourself to be. If you look at the diagram, our whole identity is changed there below. When we believe in Him, we become a child of God. We are forgiven of our sin. We are covered in the righteousness of Christ, and God loves us the same way He loves the Son. And so, how do you walk in Him? You walk in Him as a child of God. And you live every day knowing that you have been forgiven and you are accepted. And now you have this glorious relationship with God the Father who has created all things. He is your Father and that's how you begin to live in Him. You live in Him. Your identity is now a follower of Christ. That means your life is no longer your life. It is Christ's life. Everything you have is His. That's how you live in Him. He now identifies you as His follower. And what does He tell His followers to do? Take up your cross and follow Me. You are a witness. This means everything that you have, everything that you do is in His story. And it is meant to witness that. Where you live, you live in Richmond, in Jesus' story to tell about the Lordship of Christ here. 
This is Jesus' story that you're living right now. The job that he has given you is to tell his story, is to make sure people know this ain't your story. This is Jesus' story. The friends you have, you're to gather together and tell his story as friends. You live in his story, and it changes the way that you think about your life. It's not just about you. It is about Jesus. You are a citizen of his kingdom. And so that means when the kingdoms of this world begin to crumble, you still have hope. Jesus' story doesn't end when whatever country comes to an end. No, when you're connected to his kingdom, it goes on and on forever if you connect to his story. And this is how Paul says, continue to walk in him. But he continues to elaborate on that. And he says, if you are in him and you are in his story, you are secure in him. Notice verse 7 as we continue to move through the text. He says, this is what it's like to be rooted in him, in his story, through the gospel. You are rooted. You are literally planted in him, in his story. God, God has taken you when you believe the gospel and he has, he has rooted you and built you up in him. He uses two terms here. He uses the term of a tree that's planted, but also of a building that is being built. And, and, and he says, you and your life, is now, you are now planted in Christ. Now your life is being built on the foundation of Christ. And he says, you are established in the faith. This is an unshakable foundation. You can't be moved if you have been planted in Christ just as you were taught. And he refers to the teaching and preaching of the gospel here. When you believe the gospel, you are planted in something so much bigger than you. And you've got to see that. and You've got to understand it. It's not just my, my life over here that, that is on my hill and the roots of my life are small and pathetic and the foundation of my life is small and when the wind and waves come, they blow me away. No, He has uprooted you from thinking that way and He has planted you in this galactic, cosmic, glorious story that is unshakable because it is a story God is telling. You are rooted in his story beyond the surface of your life in the gospel you're stable and secure what this means for you is you know why you exist you see people in your life all the time they have no clue why they exist and they are just trying to make sense of life according to their own wisdom and acting according to their own desires now you've been rooted in something bigger and better, and you know why you exist. God created everything for Jesus. God's doing everything for Jesus, and you are rooted in that unshakable story that God is telling that cannot fail in the world. You know where you are headed. You know how all of this ends according to the Bible. Jesus comes back and wins. And this is to give you stability. All of the terms here refer to stability and security. And God has done this when you believe the gospel. But notice what happens for the one who is rooted in Christ, rooted in his story, as opposed to their own story. Notice what happens. Abounding in thanksgiving. The result of being secure in Christ is thanksgiving. Now, this is a very important word. It's not just some generic joy. 
Like you would walk around and say, I don't have joy, so I can't be thankful. That's not the case. Paul says if you are rooted in Christ, you can be content in Christ. And even when you don't feel the joy, you can still give thanks to God. You always have something to give thanks to God for. He has saved you. He has given you a a greater story. He's forgiven you of your sins. And so you can always, at all times, no matter what's going on in your life, turn to God and say, thank you. No matter how you feel. No matter the circumstance. This is what being rooted in the gospel does for you. No matter what's going on, no matter how you feel, you can always turn and abound, multiply in thanksgiving. And so we see the result of security in Christ. It's not just some grueling, miserable lot in life where I try to get through. No, if you really understand what God has done for you in Christ, and you really understand what He has connected you to, you can always turn around and say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you that you've given my life purpose. Thank you that you've given my life meaning. Thank you that you've forgiven me of my my sins. Thank you that you've accepted me in Christ. This is what security in Christ does. The Christ-centered life walking in Him is one of security and joyful thanksgiving. Because your joy is rooted in Him and nothing else. And here's the point. The extent at which you disconnect your life from the good news of Christ you will live in insecurity. And you will not give thanks to God. No, what you will do in your instability is you will be discontent, you will be worried, and you will be full of venting and complaining constantly. Because there's no security there. And that is where you live. When you remove yourself from Christ and you try to root your life in something else, you're going to be scared. You're going to be worried. Things aren't going to go the way that you want them to go. And you're going to complain. And you're going to grumble. But if you're rooted in the gospel, you always have something to be thankful for. It's who you are. And the more you cultivate your faith in Him, the more you will live secure in Him. And the more your life will abound in thanksgiving. Because you understand what God has done for for you. And so practically, how do you do this? How do you make sure you are rooted in Christ and you're giving thanks for what He has done? And I would say to you today, this is why the word and worship is so crucial in your life. You see, we want something outside of ourselves to fix ourselves. And yet we have the story that God has folded us into. And so this is why you need to be in the Word of God. You need to be seeing the story over and over and over and over and over again from this part and this part and this part. You need to see how the promises are fulfilled. You need to see how the gospel applies to your life. You need to see where it's going over and over and over and over again. You need to be a person of the word that gathers with the people of the word. And we together as the church remind ourselves through the word of God where we are in this story as witnesses accomplishing his mission. And we do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Remember, Paul says, him we proclaim 
And why do we do this? Because Paul says that we will know peace as we continue in the faith, the hope of the gospel. And so he continues to preach the gospel so that the church would continue to see him and continue to look to him by faith. And that is where our stability comes from. This is why he says at the beginning, as you received him, how did you receive him? By faith. By faith, you trusted in him. And this is why you come to the gospel and his story and you see him over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible and you trust him more and more and more and more. And as you do that, you are more and more rooted and you become more and more firm in his story as you see him and as you hear him from his word. You want to know so often it comes down to this. I, I'm, I talk to folks and it's, it's heartbreaking for me just, Because I say, you know, they talk about the insecurities and instabilities and lack of joy in their life. And I ask them, are you reading the Bible? No. You're not going to have joy if you're not reading the Bible. Are you giving thanks to God for what He has done for you in Christ? Are you gathering with the people of God? Church itself is a declaration of the gospel. As Clay said earlier, look around this room. This is Jesus' story right now. Open your eyes and see it. God is gathering. That's what church is. We gather and we assemble to be reminded here today, I lived life for myself this week. And then you look around the room and you see life isn't just about me. There's so many other people who are trying to follow Jesus in his story. And together we do it together. And we remind ourselves of that through the preaching of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. This is Jesus' story. You see, some of you are here today and you're living by faith in the compliments and opinions of others. And it's not producing thanksgiving in your life. You know what it's producing? Fear and flattery. You're scared of what other people think of you and that's why you flatter them all the time. And you fish for compliments for them. It's because you're not secure in the gospel. And you know what you need? You need to get in the word of God and be reminded of what Christ has done for you. And it doesn't matter what any man or woman thinks of you. In Christ, God has said you are forgiven and you are righteous and you are loved And that's how you become rooted and secure and you thank him for that. Some of you are here today and you're living for status and award and promotion. And you know what it's producing in your life? Discontentment. And you know what you need? You need to get in the gospel. You need to get in the word of God. And you need to see what Paul says in Ephesians that in him we have every spiritual blessing and you're not lacking anything. This world cannot give you anything anything that Christ hasn't already given you for eternity and even more. And so you get in the word of God and you remind yourself of that and you say, thank you, God. And you know what that does? You're rooted in him. You're stable in him. You're secure in him. Some of you are here today and you're living for security to be found in how great a husband you are, how great a father you are, how great a wife you are, how great a mom you are. And you're not finding security there because life and parenting and marriage is really, really hard. And you know what you need to do? You know it. Get in the Word of God. Remind yourself of the gospel. 
And remind yourself of this. If God's grace is sufficient to save me from my sins, it is sufficient to save me from my weaknesses. And I am reminded of the gospel. It is the gospel that gives me security. It is the gospel that gives me stability in this world. Some of you are here today and you are insecure in your health. And you are fighting against it and you are scared to death of what's to come. You know what you need to do? Get in the gospel. Get in the word of God. Be reminded, Jesus is a former corpse. And in him, you have been united to his resurrection. And for those who love him and follow him, Jesus promises you this. You will not see death. You will be raised up. Do you believe that? That's where you find security in the face of death. Some of you are looking for security in your feelings and an experience that you can have before God. And it's not giving you any stability. You, you, you come to the meeting, you come to the event, you come to church, and you feel good for a while. And it's all about the experience. And you're clamoring for another experience, another experience, another experience. You know what you need to do? When the experience isn't there and the feeling's not there, you get in the Word of God and you trust by faith what Jesus has said. You are secure in Him. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You will be raised from the dead and you will rule and reign with Him forever. There are some of you here today and you are scared of what is becoming of our country. And I am too. You know what we need to do? We need to go to the end of the story. When all of the kingdoms of this world, from Israel to the ends of the earth, become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. And we're reminded of the gospel. And this is how we root ourselves in his story. And this is where we find security. And this is why Paul's warning in verse 8 is so important. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elements and spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He says, beware that no one's pulling you from the gospel. No one's diluting the gospel with other things. Why? Notice the phrase, takes you captive. Now the imagery here is of a king who comes in and conquers a people and takes them away from their king. And he says, see that no one does that to you. Steals you away from Christ as their own possession. That is what Satan is wanting to do through false teaching. Through things that are not the gospel, not according to Christ. And he uses this phrase, philosophy. It simply refers to the hows and whys of our existence. Why do we exist? He says, if a man comes to you and tries to explain that apart from Christ, apart from the word of God, he's just making it up. Don't be led astray by that. Empty deceit. This refers to lies and manipulation that play on our desires. Some sort of truth that plays to what you want, but leaves you empty in the end. Because only Christ can give you what you need. He says, don't be led astray by that. Then he uses the word tradition here. Just another system. Judaism. Maybe you add Christ to it or you add the works of the law to Christ or ritualism or paganism. Anything other than Christ. Don't be led astray. Don't be taken captive. And he uses this phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. And it's an interesting term. 
It refers to just the things of the world. We would say food, water, wealth. And the the Colossians believed that there were spirits behind all of those things. You see this in other countries. We go to Peru. They worship Mother Earth. They pray to spirits over their crops. He says, don't fall into doing that because there's one who is supreme than even the world that you see. He created it. It is his world. Trust him. Look to him. But here he says, anything that's not according to Christ, and we would say not according to the Bible and the gospel revealed in the Bible. Here, what he's getting at here is if anything starts with your own mind, your desires, someone's trying to offer you what you need according to what you do and is not offering you Christ, don't be led astray. Why? Jesus is God's philosophy, His wisdom. He is God's truth, not your desires. He he has done the work, not your tradition. And He offers you more than than food and water and what you need now. He offers you eternal salvation. And so you can't be led away from Christ. Now, how does this work in our own context? Because I know in your mind, when you think, don't be led astray, let's just say false teachers, you're thinking of somebody out there that's crazy. You're thinking of health, wealth, prosperity, Think about the preacher in Houston that smiles all the time. Don't be led astray. But most of what you see in the American church today is rooted in a religion of self-worship. This is where we are today in our country. We live in a post-Christian country, whether we want to believe that or not. And self and the individual has replaced in the God we trust. Self is at the center of everything. And over the last 15 to 20 years, there's a religion that polls tell us every American affirms to some extent. And at least 80% of Americans give themselves over to. And it's called therapeutic deism. And it begins with the philosophy That self is the most important. The individual is the most important. It begins there. And then you determine truth according to your desires. Paul says empty deceit. What you want, what you think, what you feel, that determines reality. And we see it everywhere. Down to the basics of who we are. It's how we feel. That determines who we are. And then traditions. This sort of religion. Self-worship has taken on Christianity. You can hardly tell the difference sometimes. The same songs. The same kind of worship. The words church. The words gospel. The word worship. Even the Bible. But what they do is they just co-opt Jesus for what you want. It's not just one church, one person. It's all over the place. What you read online. What you give yourself over to on the podcast. Self-help. It's everywhere. It's therapeutic deism. Because we don't want to say God doesn't exist. What we want to say is He does exist, but He exists for me. And I am the center of His universe. And He is so enamored with me. And the good news of this religion is this. If you just really believe, 
If you just have faith, you're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to be successful. And you'll hear a lot of preachers talk like that. They never tell you what success means. It's just some generic, whatever you want success to be. Just believe, just have faith, just have hope. Jesus exists to give you whatever you want. And that is the gospel. And there's worship. But at the center of worship is we're at the center of worship. You're at the center of worship. And whatever experience you can have in worship, it is about you. And you show up at church and God exists to give you something on a Sunday, a feeling or something, and you invite Him in to do this because you are the center of everything. In the Bible, as we talked about earlier, it's just a self-help book. And you're the hero. You are the one who can do things like Moses and Abraham and David. You can kill the giants of your life. This is, this is the sort of Christianity that swirls all around us. It's our story. And yet that's not what the gospel does. This is such a problem among Christians now because they give themselves over to this kind of Christianity. And we could even say the elemental spirits of the world where we are the spirit that controls these things and God exists to give us food, wealth, and all those things. But it's so dangerous. And I see so many Christians, even in my own life, that are affected by this. And they're depressed and they're miserable and they're living in despair. Why? Because the Jesus they believed in didn't meet their expectations. And the life they're trying to live is really, really hard. But I thought I believed in Jesus to give me what I wanted. And it's not happening. And they're disillusioned with Christianity. And they're walking away from it. That's why you see this thing called therapeutic Christianity now. Where we've gone from therapeutic deism... So now everything in Christianity is therapeutic. And what that means is, yeah, life's hard, can't do anything about it. And now what Jesus exists is he just exists to come set in your misery with you. Just wallow around in misery, not change anything, not make anything better. It's spiritual to be miserable because at least I got Jesus setting with me. No, Jesus changes everything. His story changes everything. And I wonder today, as you think about all these things, are you thinking about the pagan mystics in some country far, far away? Are you thinking about those in Colossae who are given over to spiritism? Are you thinking about your friends at work who just use Christianity to get what they want? Or are you looking yourself in the mirror? And when you prayed the prayer... Or are you simply accepting Jesus into your story? I want, I want you to really think about that today. And is your faith that Jesus would just fix your story? Is that, is that the gospel that you believed? Or did you understand that you're in his story? And that is glorious news. You know why that's glorious news? Because my greatest problems are in me. And the answer to all my problems sure ain't in me. It's in Him. And this is why Jesus says, if you really want life, 
You know what he says? He says, if you want to find your life, you want to find your life, lose it. Lose it. And that's what I want to invite you to today is to absolutely lose your life in his story.